Welcome to Evolutionary Exchanges, a podcast from Evolution Partners, which dives deeper into the lives of our team and guests. Our goal is to go beyond what you can find online and to introduce you to our firm and some of the issues that we're helping to address. You'll hear about some of the extraordinary work they're involved with, as well as gaining insight into who they are. Welcome to this episode of Evolutionary Exchanges. On the 8th of March, we celebrated International Women's Day. Every year, the day is a time for us to reflect on women's achievements, but also the progress we have yet to make in order to reach gender parity. The theme of this year's International Women's Day was equality versus equity. Equality is defined as a circumstance in which each individual or group of people is given the same resources or opportunities. Equity, however, recognises individual circumstances and provides corresponding opportunities to all in order to reach an equal outcome. I'm Emily, a consultant in Evolution Partners UK office, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Caitlin, our UK analyst, and by Carola York, the Managing Director in Europe of Financial Times Specialist. Carola's career has been highly varied and incredibly interesting, and we discussed how her experience of her professional life has been shaped by her experience as a woman. We discussed corporate life as a mother, how Carola maintains a work-life balance, and how she has found strong female role models to be invaluable throughout her career. Carola, Caitlin and I discuss why we need equity in the workplace and why equality is no longer enough. We consider how equity is for everyone, not just for women, and how the message of International Women's Day looks to provide women with the opportunities to provide overall good for everyone. We hope you enjoy this discussion and happy International Women's Day. So to start us off, Carola, could you tell us a little bit about your career so far? So what was your first job? What did you do at uni? And what has your journey looked like from there? Okay, um, right, where do I start? Maybe I'll start, easiest to start maybe right at the beginning. Um, in terms of, I was at Durham University and I was studying a geography degree and everybody at the time said to me, what are you going to do with that? You're going to go into teaching. I never had any intentions of ever going to teaching. It was just a degree that I, um, and a subject I enjoyed. But in my last year, I was sort of look, looking around for, 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 for roles. I always wanted to go into marketing. I did some of that in my gap year and marketing was what I wanted to do. But I came across a job in publishing as a graduate trainee scheme with, uh, it's a company that doesn't exist anymore, but called IPC Magazines. And it was a 18 month training scheme. And um, I looked at it went for interviews, got the job. And I had, I was very lucky that I was in a privileged position, very different situation nowadays for graduates. But in those days, it was probably easier for graduates to get jobs, I think. Um, and I had three jobs. And this was the one that just resonated with me. There was just something, it was the lowest paid. So I didn't go in for money. I went in going, I could really see myself doing this. And 35 years later, I'm still working in publishing. So I, you know, I sort of, you know, fell about it by accident, but fell into something that I've, that I've thoroughly enjoyed. But I was very, very lucky that I started off as a graduate trainee, having a very, very good background on the commercial side of things in publishing. I am not an editorial person. Um, I don't write. I'm very much a commercial person at heart. Um, and marketeer, I think about, you know, the, my customers. Um, and I started with that. And then I was there for 18, uh, 18 months in training and then another year working for them in the business. And I then woke up one day and went, oh, God, is this it? Am I going to be working, doing this same job for years and years and years? And I said, I want to go and do something different. And I packed a bag and I went to Hong Kong on a one-way ticket. And it was one of those things people said, are you being brave or stupid? And I went, well, if it doesn't work, I come back home again, don't I? And I try again. I've got a degree behind me. 
I've got some work experience. I want to go and see what else there is out there. And it was the best thing I ever did. I turned up in Hong Kong. I had a friend to stay with, so I had somewhere to a base. Within three weeks, I was doing some temping work. Within three weeks after that, I had a permanent job. Uh, very lucky in those days. It was pre um, when it was British, so I didn't have any issues with work visas. Very different situation for young people nowadays. But I then had four years uh, working in Hong Kong in publishing. I was very lucky to have joined The Economist while I was out there. And I then moved with them from Singapore, um, from Hong Kong to Singapore. And so I had five years in Asia, all in, all in. And then I came back to London, still with The Economist. And I worked for them for another uh, two years, two and a half years back in London until um, I then had an opportunity. Somebody approached me um, about another role. I wasn't looking to leave. They are the most fantastic company and I loved working there. And I'd done uh, three different jobs with them in three different countries and sort of, you know, getting up through the ranks. But I got an opportunity to do, again, something different. And I worked for what was then educational publishing business, which had different... Uh, sort of levels of stuff, whether it was nursery education, primary education, all, all sort of business to business um, publications. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and that's when my children came along. Um, and it was work life balance was very different. But I um, was determined that, you know, my career was important to me, it always has been, it's part of who I am, is, is and I think my friends and my family would all say the same. Um, so I was lucky enough to to sort of continue working and I'll sort of cover a bit more of that. Um, and then I sort of just as I, oh, I was there for six years, I think. And I then sort of um, unfortunately got made redundant. Um, but it then opened other doors for me. I think redundancy is often a very scary thing. Um, but sometimes it makes you try things that you actually haven't thought about before or it opens new doors or other things like that. So. I did a bit of consulting work for a little bit um, while I was looking for things and I had some fantastic opportunities going and meeting people, doing new things. And I then joined another company, um, which is called EMAP, business to business publishing, working on very random magazines from uh, Nursing Times on one side to Construction News and Heating and Ventilation News and everything in between. So really sort of random, but I met the most wonderful people, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then um, I was there for 18 months and then I um, had an opportunity. I was told by an old, old um, sort of contact of mine about a, a wonderful job going at The Spectator. So I moved from B2B publishing into consumer publishing at The Spectator. And I was there, had gone from managing a team of about 40 people to then only managing two. And it was quite refreshing and a big change, but a wonderful brand, um, quite exciting, quite fun. Um, and uh, very, very, very different. Um, so I sort of worked my way through lots of different things, working my way out. Every time was always a bit of a step up, you know, a move up, whether it's a you know, seniority or mum money or that sort of thing. So I felt I was sort of moving up the ranks and that was great. But then I just felt I was at that role. I, it was like, where next? Where next? Where next? And I wanted to move into more general management. Going, you know, I was a marketeer at heart and I wanted to go and do something that was next stage for me. And that's quite... It is quite a change if you haven't done it before, um, you haven't been in it. People say, well, how can you prove it? Um, but I was very lucky that actually one of my, um, it was a digital marketing agency that who um, I used to use to do a lot of my marketing activity. They approached me and said, Carolyn, we're setting up a new part of our business. Would you like to do it? Um, and it was a risk. And it was a risk. You know, I had family. I had mortgage. I had 
bills to pay or you know childcare to pay all those things and it was a big risk and I was going do I don't I do I don't I great thing a bit like going to Hong Kong I took a risk it was really really worth it and I stayed there for almost 10 years and it was a very different experience because I'd been working obviously within a business where I was looking after brands and I was taking responsibility to suddenly sitting on the other side and working in an agency where I had clients and I had to be nice to people and um very different experience but I learned so much I was at the forefront of everything going on in digital so you know I was personally not only learning a lot in my job but also just about you know the digital world and it just moved me streets ahead of probably all of my peers um and it was the best you know it was a risk worth taking absolute risk worth taking and then um unfortunately they went through a massive shift as a young new business not surprising, they were getting ready to sell, they were chopping and changing things. So I unfortunately did get made redundant from that. And that opened the door for me to go and join the Financial Times, which is where I am now. So I've gone back into my heartland of publishing. So I'm back on the other side, but it was wonderful having done something different and sort of stepped out for a little bit. My clients were all publishers, so I was still involved in the wider industry, but I wasn't proactively, you know, sitting with them. But I it was a very different experience. And I, I learned so much from it. And I would say, you know, you have to take a risk sometimes because it works out long term. Clearly. Yeah, that's amazing that you've had such a varied, interesting career journey so far. That's incredible. Going to Hong Kong, one way ticket. Wow. That is very brave. Uh, I'm not sure. I, if I look back, it was such a long time ago. Did I do it because I didn't have enough money to buy the return? Or I actually think most of it was I knew I could come back, but I didn't know when. So I did where I would be, whether Hong Kong would be my end destination or end up onto Australia or something. And, you know, I I just went and thought I'll do with the rest of it. I, I was 24. I could do it. It was easy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. And that's an amazing risk to take. And I mean, incredible that you've had such a fruitful experience as as someone in your career and in the industry and you've had the chance to experience a lot of different sides of the industry and as you say kind of have that full circle moment and return to kind of where you came from almost so I mean for this year for International Women's Day we're focusing on equality versus equity which is the the main International Women's Day campaign for this year um, and highlighting the differences between these terms so equality being yeah so allowing everyone to have the same opportunity and equity recognizing that everyone kind of starts from a different a different rung on the ladder. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your understanding of why we need equity, especially in the workplace, given your breadth of experience. And if you faced any roadblocks or barriers in any of those roles, I mean, you did mention, you did touch briefly on on how you experienced being made redundant and how that kind of changed your view of your career. But do you think in terms of the glass ceiling effect that we've been seeing, we've always seen for the history of women working, do you think any of this has impacted your journey? Um, what do I think has impacted my journey? Um, I, do you know what? I don't. I, maybe it's the industry I've been in, but there's been a lot of very strong women working in the publishing industry, and I think I've been quite lucky that I've had a lot of female role models. I've had some very good mentors that have really helped me do that. I've worked for both men and women in my career, and I've seen people ahead of me, so I've always seen that I can progress. Um, so I'm not sure I've necessarily experienced that personally or maybe I just haven't felt that I've experienced it what I have felt is that there in some businesses there's an old boys club and I'll be honest there have been a particular there was a particular job that I was in where 
the boys all went and played golf at weekends. I don't play golf. A lot of women don't play golf. You know, so where do you fit in and how do you get into that sort of thing? And I think that was a very sub... I don't think they would ever realise that they were they were pushing somebody out. I don't think it was, it was never proactive, never something they would have thought of. But I always felt slightly excluded. And, you know, I was one of the few women in the senior management team and I didn't go and do that. And I was just felt that I was slight, a slight outsider. Um, but I don't, nobody would ever have done that intentionally. It was never done intentionally, but just purely because I was a woman who didn't play golf. And it could be I was a man who didn't play golf. But it, I think those sorts of things, you have to sort of think, actually, what does that mean for somebody? And actually, you know, I wasn't in the gang. I wasn't having the chats at the weekend. They'd come back and talk about things. They got back into the office on Monday morning meetings. And I wasn't part of that. And that I've always, there's little things like that, I would say, makes you stand up and think, you have to include people. You absolutely have to include people um, in everything. And it's, uh, I was, the inclusion bit is, is, has always been important for me. But I think the equality versus equity is quite interesting. It's not something I had really thought about until obviously more recently when it's become kind of the theme. And I was actually chatting to one of my team earlier in the week. She's a working mother. She, it, she, when she came back to work, she wanted to come back part time. She's, she's senior, she's experienced, but she recognised that actually trying to be a work part time was difficult for her personally, but also difficult for her team. Because obviously, if you've got a manager who's not there on a day where you need to make a decision, how do you how do you do that? And to be fair, that could be a you know it could be anybody working part time, whatever your circumstances. It, she, her particular situation is that she's she she chose to come back to work and didn't want to work full time. What she said to me was that the thing that made a difference for her was that she had two very very you know she's got a team of about um, fifteen. She had two very strong managers, and she set them up to then be her direct reports just to have two so she wasn't having to manage lots of people day to day but then the other people reporting in always had somebody around to talk to and she said structure made a huge difference and has allowed her to have a continue on with a successful career um, and she is trying to sort of help us roll that through the business and recognizing that actually a simple thing like a structure in your organization can make a huge difference to somebody working part-time a senior person who is very very strong and good and was always, you know, before she was going, well, I, I was never feeling I was quite doing the job properly. That I wasn't there or people were frustrated that I wasn't there on the days to make decisions. She made something happen that has actually allowed her, her and us as a business to make it work. No, I was just going to say, it's really great that she felt supported. I know that from our previous conversations that the FTA are trying to do a lot in terms of making sure that everyone kind of have a voice and they have access to these resources and support they need. Um, I know that you said that, that um, they have a lot of like employee-led kind of groups. We do. We have um, a series of, I think they're called ERGs, employee resource groups, uh, for different communities. Um, we have one that's called FT Embrace, which is for people of, of colour. We have Pride um, for obviously um, people with different uh, sexual orientations. We have Family. We have FT Women, which I get more actively involved with. Um I think we've got seven all in. Uh, we have one around mental health now and we have various ones because obviously mental health is, is not just about people who are, who are struggling with mental health, but people have different different needs and different ways of working. There are there are people we work with who are incredibly bright, incredibly switched on with ADHD. It doesn't restrict them from doing their jobs, but they, their brains and how they work and how they work with their colleagues is very, very different. And it's how we embrace those differences in a positive way. 
and acknowledge that and say, that's fine. Let's take advantage of somebody who's got all the energy in the world and all the wonderful ideas in the world. But how do we channel that and help them help us us deliver what we want to deliver? But it is run by our it's run by the staff. It is not run by the FT. The FT allows it to happen, but it's actually the staff members themselves. We have you know people volunteer, put their names forward. They are the ones who are actually putting programs together. They put events together, webinars, all sorts of things. It is done by the employees. It's, it, the FT allows it to happen and encourages it to happen, but it's actually the employees who do it. In terms of like other companies, what kind of steps do you think they could they could maybe take to ensure that there is kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion across all levels? I would say every company should have a look at what some of the best are doing. You know, there is so much available information out there. Um, you know, there's there's a legal aspect to what everybody has to do legally. But just doing what you need to do legally as a minimum isn't isn't enough, is not enough nowadays. It's got to be substantially more than that. Um, I think you need to look at the uh, makeup of your workforce. You know, if it's predominantly female dominated, you might have to have slightly different um, ways of, of, of approaching it to those who may be very male dominated. You only have a few women there. You know, there, there are different things I need to think. You know, and, and you look at the age range and the locations of where people are best based as well culturally i would say you know if you're just uk based you probably understand people's culture but if you've got people who are dotted about all over the world there's huge cultural issues and cultural differences so i think you need to start looking at the makeup of your workforce and then say okay what's appropriate what do those people need to help them feel that they are accepted for whoever they are that they have opportunities um all of those things i think i think that's where you where I, where i would start um one size doesn't fit all it really doesn't fit all it really doesn't yeah and I think in terms of allowing for differences in in culture and location and age and sex and everything everything to do with a diverse workforce I think obviously yeah the 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 whole point of creating a space a workspace that is inclusive for everybody is it's also about providing your your company with a, a workforce that is diverse and has diversity of experience and thought and that's where really come some of the best um, companies can come from where you have a collection of people who are maybe across the world I mean we work globally remotely and we have we have teams across a few offices across the world and I imagine that having worked in Hong Kong as well you have a lot of experience working globally and working with a lot of different people with cultural experiences completely different to your own so do you think that has also helped in terms of diversifying your own um, experience in terms of your career and your own expertise oh one one hundred percent i think you know my my risk that i took going to hong kong actually opened my eyes to that my way of thinking isn't necessarily the same way of other people think you know working in um in hong kong and singapore really opened my eyes up to different really different very very different cultures different ways of working um and in some of the other i've worked with quite a lot of international businesses um, and it, for example, we had we were bringing introducing a new way of um, uh, trying to, I suppose, allow individuals to take control over their own career development. Uh, which in the UK environment, in the US environment, people are quite happy to do that. They have to put their hand up and say, "I've done this," and showcase things they've done. We worked then in. Um, we were then talking to the manager director of our of our Indian operation. He said, "Culturally, that just won't go down." It just, it is a completely alien thing to them. You can't have that. They like to be encouraged and, di- and work in different ways. I don't know the details, but I just know he said that will not work here. You have to 
understand that culturally what how people are brought up is very very different and I think you have to open your eyes to the fact that you know just because you think it's right doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work um somewhere else um and you have to have to ask questions and you have to talk to people on the ground to say will this work won't that work what do you think give us your feedback give us your ideas because um what can work in one country will definitely not always work in another it might but not not always (laughs) yeah and that i mean is the intrinsic the intrinsic idea that underpins equality versus equity in that yeah location wise but also us looking at it from the international women's day perspective what might work for men in terms of career development in terms of working style definitely may not work for some women and i think that's why we need equity maybe more so than we need equality to recognize that we we have different women and obviously not making such black and white distinction but just using that those two groups if we're talking about women and men women may need different priorities may need different working styles i mean i've been doing a bit of research into how um, menopause age women may need may require more flexibility at work and obviously women who are um at childbearing age may require different flexibility in terms of not only maternity leave but also childcare. and this also applies to paternity leave and obviously yeah as a mother of two carola so you went back to work both times. So as a mother of two, you went back to work following the birth of both your children. I think when they were four months old. That's is, right. is that right? That's correct. So how was how was that experience? Um, well, I went back to work when they were four months because that's when full maternity pay ran out then. My children okay. were older yeah. now, so it was a few, few years ago. Um, but I, I still had my bills to pay and... I basically, what I was then going to go down to in terms of statutory maternity pay would not have covered my bills. So I had really no choice but to go back to work to make sure I had the income coming in. It's very, very hard. You know, I, um, it was a long commute for me. I live, I live in Sussex and I had to commute to London on the train. Leaving a child when they're four months old in the hands, I, I, was, I was privileged in the sense that I managed to find good childcare, but you're still leaving <laughs> this little thing with... Somebody who, in essence, is a stranger. I didn't have family to, to support me. Um, and emotionally, that's quite tough. But I would say, actually, for me, that was the, it was the physical aspect that was tougher. I was exhausted. I wasn't getting a full night's sleep. I didn't get a full night's sleep for a long time. And if I look back, bit, all a bit of a blur. <laughs> you know, I was functioning and I was doing everything. But it, I'll be honest, it was a little bit of a blur. <laughs> I look back at photographs and go, oh, yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> but I yeah. Wow, yeah, because you, I guess you do think about that in terms of finishing maternity leave, and but you don't think about the the nuances of the lifestyle that follows having a child who's, I mean, yeah, I guess under the age of eighteen, like once you become a mother, you it's such a massive commitment that can't really be compared to anything before in your in your professional career, and also I guess I, I mean I. I don't, I don't know if you found this, but I imagine you did when you were a first-time mum. Things that you thought perhaps wouldn't be so much of an issue, or there were things things came up that you did you hadn't expected in your professional life, have, having been impacted by having a baby, that you really had to make allowances for. Oh well, uh, the allowances I had to had to really work through, which actually, I think is pro- weirdly has actually probably made me a better um, a better manager and, and better at managing my time is that you have you you stop you leave home at a particular time you have to be home at a particular time your days don't extend out that oh well i'll just i'll just do something i'll stay on at work for an extra hour or I'll do this or that you have to get things done because you have to clock watch and you are out the door and then you have to be home and then your full-time 
mum when you get home. Um, that's actually made me incredibly productive. And I'm, st- I, I mean, it's great now. Children are older now, so I don't have to look after them anymore. They're self-sufficient. Um, but that's made me incredibly productive at work. I'm very good at managing my time. And it, that, I would say, is a, weirdly, is a positive thing that's come out of it. But that that's me. Um, that's me. I'm very organised, um, quite disciplined, because I had to be disciplined. It created that, and that's been a positive. Um, but um, it took a bit of time to get there. But, you know, you lose the aspect of the social bit. You know, you're talking about, as I mentioned earlier, about the boys going out playing golf. I couldn't do that post-work drink. Yeah. I had to go home. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you miss out on some of the things that you'd like to do, but you can't because yeah. circumstances mean you can't. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's, it's just wildly different in a lot of cases. And I especially, I imagine, well, I, I was born in 99 and I think it was that around the time that you were having kids as well, right? The late nineties. Yeah. 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 And so obviously there's going to be, it's a different landscape now, but then I think the expectations of, of being a mother were wildly different especially in the corporate world I imagine it was extremely stressful for you to feel like you had to have this full-time job in a (laughs) very successful career but also make your role successful as a mother it's almost like having two jobs right like it starts when you get home starts at 6 p.m and then rolls around to 9 a.m and then you're someone else I would say and also back then which I think is very different now you never really acknowledged that you were a mother you sort of avoided, wow, yeah. avoided saying it yeah. because you didn't want people to think that uh, there was something else distra- detracting you from your day job. Now, I, I would say I worked generally with pretty family-friendly companies, um, but I think that I think there have been huge strides, huge strides. I'm not saying it's perfect now, but I think there's a big, big step forward in terms of what I see in terms of people, you know, uh, policies now, both government policies, but also it, um, company policies are much more... Uh, accepting and embracing that um, you know I have no problem people talking to me and saying I've got to go home today or I've got a parents evening can I go I go that's fine I completely accept that maybe that's because I've gone through that personally I don't know but I think as a business um, and I I'm sure there are some quite old-fashioned companies who still don't accept that it's not my personal experience I think things have changed a lot a lot since my day yeah, and I think the passage of time has helped that a lot, but also I think things like COVID, I, that's completely changed our attitude to hybrid working, to remote working. I mean, yeah, my job is, is mainly remote now and I can't really imagine doing a nine-to-five, especially with a four-month-old baby. Um, that's so alien to me as a concept. Oh, well, even for me now, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't have to look after, but oh my God, I, I, kept being, I used to commute to London five days a week. How did yeah. I do it? Mad. I go in two or three days a week now, um, and we, we, we have a, a very sort of accepting hybrid policy. Uh, there are some people who need to be at home more than others. And you can be in the office every day if you want. We have that flexibility. Um, and I don't think there's any less productivity as a result. I, I, personally, I do believe there needs to be a mixture. I'm somebody who believes in actually people being together. You need the balance of both. Um, you actually need to meet. You need people to come together. The creativity, partly because of the industry I work in, I think you lose creativity if you're not in a room and bouncing crazy ideas off each other, which is, and you can do it remotely. You just miss something. Um, I think aspects of it get missed, but my God, the work-life balance thing is huge for me. It's it's great. My, my three and a half hours or sometimes four hours traveling, I go, I can go to the gym now. I still, I can probably do more work, but I can go to the gym and I'm going, 
that's really good. It's really good. And I look at working parents, uh, it's a huge step forward. You know, I used to miss my children going to bed at night sometimes. If the trains are delayed, I missed it. Mm. I would hope that working parents can, you know, will be there. They're, they're far more present in their children's lives and it's more good for them and, and for their families. Yeah, absolutely. You you don't imagine those things to you. Again, it's one of those things that, as in someone who hasn't had kids and I don't think I, hopefully I won't be in the position where I have to feel like I have to sacrifice parts of my child's childhood in terms of work and commuting and the parts of work that you don't really think about. But yeah, it's, it's the small things, isn't it? And it's something that I think now given are changing attitudes to working from COVID, but also, as I say, from, I mean, yeah, I was born over 20 years ago now, and I think it's it's going to continue to change. Um, I think it's a, it's a huge, huge part of equity, if we're thinking about equity in the workplace, and especially for obviously, and International Women's Day, it's obviously for women, but it's for everyone. These are policies that can impact everyone's working day and are made to help everyone. So do you think, flexibility of working life and and prioritizing a good work-life balance do you think that is important for equity and the equity that we're talking about at the moment oh uh, absolutely completely it's I think about it as as, as a working woman and, and for me and it's something I'm very passionate about but I think any parent or anybody who has um you know you might have elderly parents who need more care and attention there's all sorts of things that impacts everybody everybody has different individual circumstances and I think uh, that work-life balance is important for everybody there are some people who have their who have their passions outside work whatever that might be that's actually just as important for them as their work everyone works you work because you have an income but you're part of a whole person you have other things going on in your life and it's what's important to you as an individual and if you're happy it makes you do a better job you're more productive everything else that comes with that um, I think is really important. So it's not just a female thing. It's definitely it, it, for everyone. It's absolutely for everyone. Yeah. Even when you're only 24 and you decide to go to Hong Kong and then you obviously had kids and you still jumped at every opportunity that was presented to you in your career and you were willing to take those risks and obviously they paid off. And it's a bit of a generalisation, but I think historically women more so than men haven't always, you know, put themselves for those roles and gone for those promotions and taken those risks. Um and sometimes when they do, they kind of struggle to celebrate their own success and accept the fact that when they've gone for those positions and they've got them, it's kind of the result of their own merit. I think it's kind of more commonly known as imposter syndrome. We just wondered if, if that's something you've ever personally experienced um, and kind of how do you cope when things don't go to plan? Um, and also how do you make sure that you do celebrate when you do achieve successful things? Yeah, I think, I think everybody... Um suffers from imposter syndrome at some stage even the most successful people you've got to be very i would say be very arrogant person not to probably but maybe that's just my, my thinking um i maybe i was very lucky but i i had parents who always said to me give something a go you never know what you're capable of unless you give something a try failure is and i and i consider and i say this to my teams now through work i said failure is 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 part of learning um you don't know until you try. If you don't try it, or if you don't put yourself forward and then you see someone else getting it, you just missed out on an opportunity that could have been yours. But I do absolutely know that there's a lot of lack of confidence. And absolutely, I completely agree with you that you know it is, it's, it's well known that women will only apply for a job when they tick eight out of the 10 boxes, whereas guys will only tick two and say, I'll give it a go, see what happens. Um, I think we just need people to feel more confident in their own abilities. I do actually think I see more of that in young people now. 
um, I don't know whether it's a generational thing, but maybe it's just something I'm observing. But I think I think a lot of young people are now saying, I can do that. Give me a chance. Give me a go. And there's less of it now than there might have been in the past, because I think possibly in the past, women were never seen to be the main breadwinner. You were always had the second job. You, your career wasn't as important as a man's and maybe there was part of that whereas I don't think that is true nowadays and young women should never ever feel that in that position women are just as capable as men they should be in that position and I do think there's a there is a, a bit of a shift happening now um but it, I think I was just very lucky but partly I'm a bit gutsy as I said before I do take risks I'm willing to take risks and sometimes you fall flat on your face um, but you learn from it. Um, but I don't think you should ever regret trying. It's always about the trying. If you don't try, you don't know. And I think I was very lucky that I had that, uh, in, you know, sort of brought up with me that uh, my, my father always particularly said to me, an education is gives you a choice. What you do with that choice is down to you. But if you don't get something, you can't get somewhere. And it's all these next things. What's next? What's next? What's next? What do you want to do? Um, and I think I always just believed that um, I could try something, um, you know, and um, I've enjoyed doing it along the way. <laughs> it's been fun. I was just going to say, why do you kind of think you have had that mindset for kind of from, from the get-go? Like, where you've kind of taken those opportunities a whole way through your career? Um, I think it probably goes back to the, uh, maybe I've just been very lucky with the people I've worked with. As I said earlier, I've had some very, very good mentors and people I've worked for, um, who have encouraged me, uh, and a lot of them have been women, who've been very, very encouraging, open doors and opportunities, and given me the chance to do something, and sometimes it's scary, um, and sometimes you look back and go, oh my god, I did that, I really did that, and you get excited about it, and I, so I think, you know, there are two particular women I would say that you know really really helped me in in my in my career in the past, um, and they they just gave me the I suppose the self belief that I could do this. Um, so I would say always say to everybody find a good mentor, even if it's not within the business, find someone else or join a company where you believe that you are going to be supported and somebody's going to help you develop your career. Everybody wants you to do a job, whatever your job is, whether you're making money or whatever it is, you need to do your job first and foremost. But actually, if you're working with a group of people, particularly have a line manager who is supportive of you and wants to encourage you and wants you to build your career. Oh, my God, that makes a huge difference. An enormous difference because you're not on your own. You're not feeling you're having to fight a battle. You've actually got someone there who's helping and supporting you along the way. Absolutely. I think that team feeling that support is invaluable. And um, definitely some really good advice that we could take away. So I think that's a really good place to finish off our podcast. So thank you so much, Carla, for joining us. No problem. Very happy. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. And we will see you all on the next episode of Evolutionary Exchanges.